Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Lunatics Radio Hour podcast. This is a super exciting episode for us because it is all about Yule in the winter solstice, and today is Yule in the winter solstice, so it's perfectly timed. I'm Abby. I'm here with Alan Kudan. Hello. And we're super excited to invite back our close friend, our pagan expert, Miranda Warzel. Hey, guys. Hi. We're so excited to have you back again. Ooh, I am so excited to be back. Yeah, and if you haven't heard Miranda on our show before, we have a whole episode on Samhain, which is the pagan holiday sort of associated with Halloween, and she's also part of our Halloween radio drama, so check out those episodes. And you can also check Miranda out on Superhuman Public Radio, which is a podcast that is also available anywhere you can listen to podcasts. It's super, super fun. No, no, no super <laughs> And superhuman. I said no pun intended, and you just, you just went for it. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Do you want to tell Thanks us a little that. bit about that, Miranda? Yeah, so I play a couple of different characters. Um, namely, I play a robot that is bent on um, taking over the world. <laughs> um, it is gender neutral, so it's it's me and um, another voice actor, and our voices are kind of like overlaid over each other. It's pretty cool the way oh, that it cool. turns out. Um, Sounds complicated. Yeah, it's real high tech over there. You know, they yeah, they it's it's fun. It's really fun. Um, you get a lot of cool effects on it. Uh, what else? I play a villain. I play a super nice. villain named uh, Corporate, so that's pretty um, appropriate. <laughs> pretty on and, brand. And yeah, it's kind of like a, it's sort of like a Welcome to Night Vale type thing, or like a War of the Worlds type thing, where it's like full world immersion into like an alternate universe where it, it's kind of like The Incredibles, how like uh, superheroes are the norm, right. and um, yeah, it's just like their their daily problems, like all the ads. Mm -hmm on the podcast are geared towards uh superheroes as if the viewer is really like a superhero and all that it's fun oh, that's it's cool. super yeah. yeah that's that's cool we should check that out mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you can follow miranda at alien.meet on instagram which is meet like animal not meat what did you say like meet and greet and yeah. um it's a fun time i follow miranda you get a lot of cool vegan recipes from time to time you really never know what you're gonna get <laughs> yeah we like to keep everybody on their toes you know yeah and sometimes bedtime stories, which is a new thing you've been doing. Yeah, I've been doing like, um, it's sort of like an ASMR thing. I'm trying to figure out exactly how I want to do this, exactly how I want to present myself with this. So um, I sort of let everybody in on like watching me work out the kinks of this thing that I'm trying to do. But mm -hmm. I've I've always enjoyed like uh, reading to people like that and being able to read to like hundreds of people is um, it's a lot of fun. The interactions are really fun. And I've been looking for good short horror stories oh. and good short sci-fi stories. But what I found was that when I try to find good short horror stories on the internet, a lot of them are very poorly written, which actually <laughs> makes for a way better time to read because they're full of, um, you know, like misspellings yeah. and sometimes the plot doesn't make any sense. And it's a really good time. I'm talking very specifically about the golden depths of reddit again yes. i wonder if we talked about this a little bit last time but it's just an endless gold mine of absurdity and it's really fun to pull from well if you ever need a collection of short horror stories may I recommend horror stories by abby <laughs> branker thank you thank you for oh. the plug <laughs> yo about to pick one of those up actually because yeah i could use some like actually well-written short horror stories thank you so much i will say that well i will say reddit is a wild time i love reading like creepypasta stories on reddit and some of them yes are truly awful and absurd but there are some that are so good and you're like you guys are just putting this on the internet for free like this is this is amazing under like an anonymous username you know so it mm -hmm. it's like roulette you never know what you're gonna get yeah it's hard to find those little perfect golden nuggets and then what i like about the the really poorly written ones is that when i'm reading them on live like people will be interacting about how bad it is live mm -hmm. like my friends will be like breaking down the plot in such a way like <laughs> this is absurd because and like i don't know it's just it's just fun it's just yeah. a lot of fun we put all these authors on light roast you know but it's all in, in the name of like we want to promote their work and we do right you know Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So check mm -hmm. out alien.me on Instagram again for a very wild time. Okay. So today is Yule. Is Yule. Woo! Last year we did a Krampus episode, which was fun and really specific. And this year, now that we're sort of, I don't know, diving into pagan holidays, this is, I guess, sort of a, a longer form pagan holiday series we're doing. It felt 
cool to explore Yule in the Winter Solstice. And as we found out in our research, it's actually really brutal and um, horrific. So I think it'll fit well on this podcast. Okay, before we get into what Yule actually is, Mm -hmm. I recently got into an internet argument with someone. How? How how do you avoid them, you know? Uh Um, Where... They were looking for information on Norse mythology, Krampus, and Yule and their ties. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, wow, you got to check out this book. It's not a, it's not an academic, it's not not an uh, academic text. It's just a fantasy novel, Mm -hmm. but it ties those three things together. And this was Krampus, the Yule Lord by Brahm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Super fun book. And I just got chewed out. (laughs) <laughs> on on the internet on reddit yes because uh-huh. <laughs> apparently krampus has absolutely nothing to do with yule hmm. according to this one guy yeah krampus is not part of any of my research i didn't come across him did you miranda no not yeah. at all i all you know who i did oh you know what i'm not gonna spoil anything i'm looking across that bridge when we get there Ooh. go on though Ooh. all right great okay so krampus the yule lord uh-huh. is a misnomer apparently right well i mean i think that's what you can do when you're a fiction author it certainly is, but I mean, we're talking mythology here. We're talking mythology. Anything goes. That's right. Okay, so a few sources that Miranda and I collectively used. Uh, all of them are videos on YouTube, really. And, I, and there are some other articles and things, but these, I think, were really the most substantial sources. The Germanic Origins of Yule, Pagan Origins of Christmas and Tradition, and What is Yule? The biblical origins of Christmas are commonly understood. The story of the birth of Jesus. But long before that... Ancient pagans were honoring the seasons and the sun as part of Yule. So before we get into like this rich history of the winter solstice and Yule, um, which has like so many, like, it's really funny. I found that a lot of the little cute like traditions that we all know for Christmas now come like so many of them are traced back to different like cultures and, and some of them are really brutal and very different than how we're celebrated today but before we talk about all of that history i wanted to take a second to talk about the solar aspect of this holiday so we can't really talk about yule without talking about its connections to the winter solstice in a pagan sense yule is typically celebrated on the 21st of december in modern times which is the shortest day and the longest night of the year Um, in the southern hemisphere you'll be celebrating around june 20th or 23rd And all of that being said, when you look back, and we're going to get into this a little bit, Yule originally sort of like marked a two-month period. And in a lot of cultures, we see that it's around 12 days. And Miranda kind of called out the connection to the 12 days of Christmas and other things that come up later. So just to say, like, all days end up being like a little bit arbitrary. And there's a lot of, it's, it's, it's a little bit fluid, right, pending on the cultures. And we also see a lot of one culture being like, oh, they're celebrating this now. So let's turn it into this. Right. And so mm-hmm. things get things like flow between cultures, you know, celebrating the birth of Christ on a certain day is is not really anything to do with when he historically was believed to be born. <laughs> you know, mm-mm, mm-mm. he was born in spring. That was a springtime baby. And they say that <laughs> because in the Bible, they said that the uh, the sheep herders were tending to their flocks at night, and they never did that in the winter. They never did it. Right. So he logically could have only been born in the spring. I think Jesus was a Pisces. That's just me, though. <laughs> Are you a Pisces? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Wait, but Christmas is in December. All right, all right. Just hold on to your horses. <laughs> we'll get around to that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of controversy about that. Oh, yeah. So again, December 21st, which is the shortest day and the longest night of the year. And so this day is sort of seen as a perfect transition between the dark and light half of the year, right? It's when things start to become brighter again, you're moving towards spring. Yule represents catharsis and new beginnings, the return of the sun, the return of light and heat. Historically, solar celebrations can be traced back thousands of years around like this time of the calendar. So like around the winter months, so to speak, and across hundreds of cultures. For those who celebrate the Wiccan tradition, this is also uh, the time when the Holly King gives up his throne to the Oak King. And I didn't add a ton about this. And there's uh, some pagan traditions which talk about like the Horned King and other versions of these. But there is a quick little anecdote, which is that it's believed that at this time, the Holly King and the Oak King fight. 
and the holly king gives up his throne so that the oak king can reign during the light half of the year i read that you put that in there and i was scanning the internet trying to find a story depicting this battle but there's no there's no like lore story it's just something that they said was going on you know yeah and about the horned king didn't uh, they said that the holly king and the oak king were two sides of the same horned god is another thing i read which was mm-hmm. kind of interesting that is interesting yeah this is so cool <laughs> wait, wait there's no stories of this it's weird. There, it was like a lot of like modern pagan resources I found that talk about it. And I have like just, you know, sort of casually as I dabbled in celebrating Yule in the past few years. But no, I haven't found like I'm, I wonder, I guess. And I don't know, Miranda, if you know, like where some of these Wiccan traditions started and like how old they are. I don't exactly know how old this one is. I mean, this one seems pretty old. This one seems to be from what I read, seems to be the earliest depictions of the idea of a santa claus because it's a it's a man adorned with he's like a he's more of like a woodland santa claus type Mm -hmm. figure the holly king Hmm. i mean so this this all i know is that that is the first hint of what became santa claus in america super cool Hmm. we'll also get into a few other uh santa claus inspirations because there are many Oh, you know what? I'm sorry, I forgot. I'm, I totally forgot. There was a there was a man who was a poet, who wrote a poem about the Holly King, the Oak King, and the Ivy King. And I do believe the Oak King and the Ivy King are interchangeable. But that mm. was one of the first recordings, uh, written recordings of this uh, duality that would um, they said would constantly fight throughout the year for dominance. Cool. I love that imagery too. Mm-hmm. like yeah. the imagery of like pe- like these kings or gods are fighting and that is what's controlling like the weather and the seasons you know mm-hmm. yeah this is mm-hmm. so cool the fact that there is not endless mythology on this is criminal well maybe we can start it modern what mythology that's right you Ooh, write your own mythology story? screw you guy on reddit <laughs> i know i should have written my story about that for this episode but i did not no this okay. one's gonna be good as hell i'm excited for this one <laughs> yeah me too Yule underwent many transitions, but let's start with its Germanic pagan roots. The first mentions of Yule that we see are tied to the calendar. Yule was roughly a two-month period of time that fell between what is now November and January, the deepest parts of winter. Mentions of this month appear as early as the 4th century AD. There are also many early references to similar words, describing a similar time of year in early Norse texts. Some of the oldest traditions around Yule are are this like um, Proto-Germanic pagan time and very old Norse um, history, and so those those came up a lot for me in the research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Yule log was like the major part of the Germanic tradition. Yeah, the, the fire and the tree specifically, just um like bringing in the uh, the evergreens, obviously. Like, if we're going to be talking about pagans, they're worshiping nature. And uh, back then, and still for some people, they believed that, like, trees are the embodiment of all that is holy. I mean, I think it's um, uh, Greek or Norse mythology where they believed that a tree was at the center of the universe that controlled all nine realms. This is a theme that, like, goes Mm -hmm. throughout um, a lot of different cultures. Like, trees are the epitome of... Yeah, holiness, like I said yeah. already. To bring it into the house, this thing that survived through this like mostly unsurvivable time was not too far off from worshiping God. You look excited. I am. We're talking about Yggdrasil. <laughs> Do you want to say anything about it? I mean, it's my favorite tree. It's your favorite tree. The Old Norse King's sagas were a collection of poems about Swedish and Norwegian kings written by an Icelandic poet around 1230. In the most notable of these texts, we learn that King Haakon I of Norway, who ruled between 934 and 961, is credited with bringing Christianity to the country and realigning Yule to coincide with Christian celebrations. Quick thing. Mm. It's King Haakon. King Haakon? Haakon. Haakon. King Haakon. 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 Because Norway was so rooted in its pagan culture, the king actually allowed for pagan Yule and Christian celebrations to happen together. Jul, or J-U-L, I'm not sure the correct pronunciation. What is it? Jul, J-U-L. It is, um, it is Yol, or Huel, is what I pronounced. I knew you had I found know. it pronounced as, it's the two ways. A, yeah. Perfect. I thought it was funny when they said it used to be pronounced as Huel, like the, the, it's just kind of a gross Huel. old man name, but yeah. 
Aww. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Fuel is still Fuel? the. W- I didn't mean to offend. No, no. Fuel is still the word for Christmas in modern Norway. It's also believed that the word jolly is actually derived from the French word for Yule. In the Proto-Germanic sense, the earliest version of the word Yule is derived from the meaning of festivity or celebration. In the darkest and coldest time of the year, the ancient Germanic people would take to their temples to honor this holiday. And their temples were, you know, sort of like wooden huts and, you know, they weren't like beautifully ornate, (laughs) uh, carved out temples. They were embedded in nature. It isn't surprising that they would turn to the gods during Mm -hmm. such a harsh season. People would gather around a warm hearth and toast to the gods with mead and feasts. Sacrifice was a major part of this tradition, which we talked a lot about with Samhain. Uh, And this was uh, notably way easier to find information about sacrifice um, with this holiday than uh, we found for Samhain. Livestock and horses would be brought inside the temple and be slaughtered. These were for the mead and feasts. Well, they were Mm -hmm. for the sacrifice and for the feast. Would they eat it or would they just smoke it up to the gods? No, they would eat it. And actually, in a lot of cases, they, they didn't believe that the sacrifice was complete until the meat was consumed. Oh, that's a nice touch. Yeah. And also the blood from the animal would be collected on sacrificial twigs and sprinkled on the walls of the temple, on the idols of the gods, and on the men in attendance. Wait a minute. Uh Uh-huh. When you say sprinkled on the twigs. Like they would collect Mm. the blood from the sacrificed animal on twigs and then sort of like flick it around everything. With a birch switch? Mm Mm-hmm. Potentially. Now, are you just trying to connect Krampus in here any way you can? I, <laughs> y- no. <laughs> Maybe. I think it's also important to note that this was one of the only, If I think this was the only time of year when they would eat the horses. They normally would never do that because these were like very high honor animals. But because it was specifically because they couldn't afford to feed the animals for the rest of the winter that they had they had no choice but to kill off most of them except for a few that they would save for breeding oh that is interesting huh can mm-hmm. you imagine me that one guy in town that just loves horse meat and has to like wait <laughs> ever all year long for his one meal yeah i mean i know yeah in some cultures today they still do eat horse meat I mean, yeah a specific type of sacrifice we see in ancient accounts is that of the yule boar The animal would be brought into the king, but before it was slaughtered, the community would lay their hands on the animal and make sacred vows and oaths. And here we see the tradition of individuals making oaths to uphold for the next year, much like our modern New Year's resolutions. Again, another thing that I wish we really didn't get rid of was everybody putting their hand on the family boar and making little wishes. What happened to that? I love the New Year's tradition of setting, goal setting and rebirth, getting rid of the old. And I love, that's like my favorite holiday for that reason. And I love hearing about these like ancient versions of that. Do you think that they would also swear on the boar like they swore on Bibles in a court of law? Oh my God. Can you imagine how cute that would be? It'd be so sweet. I'm just imagining the, the aftermath when you know you have that that disgruntled spouse that <laughs> is like you swore on the boar <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i swear to boar heather <laughs> <laughs> the boar has heavy connections to the god frey also meaning fight in danish when the community feasted on the sacrifice board they were praying to frey to be favorable in the coming year uh, and here you may recognize the tradition of eating ham on christmas so that's what happened to the boar yeah, which I despise. You just don't like ham. I hate ham. But you I love the idea of a little boar. I hate the idea of eating ham. <laughs> but you love pork. Hate ham, love boar. Yeah, exactly. We should get bumper stickers that say that. Hate ham, love boar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lunatics project. <laughs> I love that. Similar to Samhain, the ancient Germanic people believed that with the shorter and darker days, the veil between the living and the dead was thin. It was believed that spirits were more abundant during this time of year, especially outside in the harsh elements. So it was sort of this idea of like warm. It wasn't romantic, so to speak, but it was this idea of safety inside with the fire, even though there was a lot of like debauchery going on outside, though, with like the harsh elements and crazy snow and winter cold was also meant to see like almost these monsters and spirits like out about out and about outside please tell me we're going to start talking about the wendigo no i I wish wish. it's probably because they were having mass die-offs of like the local peoples that they were like oh it's the spirits 
It's the spirits. That's why you gotta light that Yule log. Keeps them away. There are even reports of a group of ghostly hunters that would ride through the night, visible only during this time of year. Were they headless? No. And so, again, this imagery, like, it, it's, like, frightening. You know, it's, it's, and we understand why it's similar to this, this, uh, the imagery of Samhain, but it's, can you imagine how devastating winters were back then, right? To survive, especially in, like, northern places where there was snow and, and very intense cold spells. So mm-hmm. it, it makes sense that they became sort of riddled with connections to the gods and sacrifices and praying to them, right, to, to survive for the next year. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about these spectral riders. Oh, I will. We see this tradition survive through the 12th century, where it was also reported that a pack of huntsmen on black horses, bucks, and demon-like hounds with haunted red eyes raced through the night. Those who kept watch at night for this group would claim to see 20 or 30 huntsmen on the prowl. So we Is see- this the wild hunt? So we see from sort of like ancient times all the way up through the 12th century, this motif of spirit riders almost with, but like with very distinct ties to demonic images. But there are always a hunting party. But they're a hunting party. The leader Mm -hmm. of this hunt shifts and changes over time. Sometimes it was believed that local folklore legends um, would take the helm but we often see Odin depicted in this scene. In England, it's known as Walton, Walton's Hunt. In Scandinavia, it's known as Odin's Hunt. And in Germany, as Odin's Army. Love that. Yeah. The the Odin, I guess, that I grew up with was very much, I guess, like a, a Marvel character. You know what I mean? But like to read about Odin in this light, like this gothic, like Lord of the Dead and leader of a dark army is kind of like worlds away from the Odin that I've come to know and love i mean like that theme is sort of carried out through all of these old myths like they used to be so much darker so much more brooding so much more serious you know Mm -hmm. but i don't know i like i like this odin very much yeah no totally i feel like you have so much to say about odin i have so much to say but i'll keep i'll keep it brief the good segue for me between you know marvel odin and classical debaucherous odin uh, mm. was uh, American Gods Odin. Yeah. Mm. Where, yeah, he's the, a, a little, little little column A, a little, little column B. American Gods by Neil Gaiman, which uh, everyone should read if you haven't. We're big fans. You bet. Yeah, I still got to read that. It's been sitting on my bookshelf. I know. I know I really have to because it's a classic. It's like a must. It's a must read for anybody, no matter if you're into the legends or not. It's fantastic. It's dense, but it's good for it's a good winter read, too, because it is sort of like a dense, cozy book. Yeah. It's also been made into a TV show and a full cast radio drama. Was the TV show good? Wasn't that on HBO? No idea. I love the book too much. I don't want to touch it. (laughs) Feel that. I super feel that. Good for you. They have, they also created comic books like off of the TV show, Mm -hmm. which I have some of, and those were fun. I've only seen clips from the show and it looks amazing. Yeah. I mean, they have HBO budgets, you know. But then again, not everything HBO touches turns to gold. But it usually looks good. Game of Thrones season eight. All right, all right. (laughs) We don't talk about that here. Exactly. (laughs) In the old Germanic times, Odin's role was god of death, and he led the hunt across the sky on his eight-legged horse. It's almost (laughs) mind-blowing. Yes. No? Okay. Come on, what's his name? Come on. What's What's the the horse? Just say the name. Sleepnir. And the horse's name is Sleepnir. It's almost mind-blowing to think that this brutal hunt led by a death god is now what has turned into a modern story of Santa Claus and his friendly reindeer. So now we're going to talk a little bit about Santa and his origins. <laughs> like Miranda said at the beginning, there's obvious connections between Santa and the Wiccan tradition of the Holly King, right? We see connections to Santa, obviously with St. Nicholas, um, who was known for giving gifts to the less fortunate in ancient Anatolia, which is now Turkey. In order to really understand, though, the history of Santa, we have to look at the intersection of paganism and Christianity. Santa pulls parts of his identity from both the Christian figure of St. Nicholas and the pagan god Odin, along with uh, many, many other influences. Mm -hmm. To honor St. Nick after his death in 343 AD, an annual day of giving of gift giving to children was instated. Originally the 6th of December, which was the day that St. Nicholas died which was then moved to the 25th after the Protestant Revolution. And St. Nick was renamed Santa Claus. You can see that sort of like this canvas, um, this like tradition of 
death hunt right and celebrating yule and the winter solstice around this time of year and then oh saint nicholas died around this time of year that it all sort of just like clicks in and merges and meshes into you know what it is now and with so many other influences around along the way but you'll see this over and over again of kind of like oh well this is kind of like around the same time of year and it's kind of similar so let's just sort of like mesh it all together and see what comes out the other side yeah santa claus was a very eclectic character i don't know he he changed his forms even just when he was an american character he changed forms a lot of times he was um he was like a, a pagan wizard for a little while. He mm. was an evil elf that like came through the floorboards. He was also a uh, a drunken businessman who had a sleigh that was drawn by turkeys. That was Whoa. one of the iterations of Santa Claus, and I'm glad that we did away with that. There, There's an interesting tie, real quick, to the businessman aspect of Santa Claus and then the Santa Claus that we know today, which is... Um, also kind of a, a, a corporate symbol a little bit, not to sound too, you know, no, like, no, it's no. the man, man, but like for real, like a little bit. <laughs> I found this extremely interesting. One of the old traditions, I think in Germany or England, was that the poor would go around, well, they would get really drunk. They would get super, super, super drunk. That was a major part of this whole thing. And they would sing outside of the buildings, uh, the homes of the richest people in town, so loudly and so annoyingly that um, the person would eventually have to let them in. And after that, they would, uh, the poor people would demand the rich people's best food, clothes, anything that they had, they would just take it for themselves. They'd take their holiday boar from them. Yeah, yeah. They took the boar, you know, <laughs> everything, including the kitchen boar. So St. Nick becoming um, a businessman like from this idea of like the gifts that you got were from the rich sometimes mm -hmm. it was voluntary sometimes it was very much involuntary so i'm pretty sure we can assume why like the rich people wanted to do away with that tradition even though it yeah. was no skin off their backs it wasn't much of a loss for them this this bounty from the local rich people would make up they they in their diaries they said um it would make up for a year's worth of i don't know hardships however you want to put it it would make that everything worth even. it. It would make their slave labor pretty worth it. Wow. That's that's like an intense thing that they could take. Like, you know, which I know is like today so much more so, but that you could sort of like skim the surface of somebody's belongings and it lasts you a whole year in terms of like survival. Just imagining the rich folk in town. Just, oh, the, the, quick, the poor are coming. Hide hide the good stuff. Hide the good bowls. Yeah. They loved cups and bowls. I mean, obviously, like, we know that those things were very important back then because you had to be a skilled craftsman in order to make any of these things that would last. So, yeah, they were all about those cups and bowls. A lot of the songs that they would sing outside of the house was about, um, oh, oh, one of the songs, which, why did this not stay a Christmas carol? They would sing about, like, you're going to give us your gold, you're going to give us your best robes, and if you don't, uh, down will come butler, bowl and all, was one of the lyrics. So, like, we will take your butler, we will take your bowls, <laughs> we will take your boars, whatever we get our hands on. And this is a tradition that I think we should bring back a little bit, because they got rid of that for a reason, but we were we were having a good time. Sometimes the rich people would get super drunk and, like enjoy it by accident you know i love that it's let's it's make, a good time let's, let's do make it. a list <laughs> a list of, of the traditions we want to bring back all the things we want to do mr bezos okay. i love that i was gonna say should we start at jeff bezos, Santa bezos. yeah let's do it <laughs> great watch he's been like prepared for all these and every year he sits around waiting for the poor people to show up and just oh he's just know. lonely he's a pagan oh. expert and he's <laughs> yep he brings out all his bowls and his boars every year, lays them out on his lawn. Oh, could you imagine? <laughs> Poor guy. He's oh, really the big guy. No, stop it. <laughs> While Christmas elves were invented in the U.S. in the 19th century, without any clear ties to pagan tradition or religious lore, the Nordic house spirits, or Nyssa, are a huge part of the Yule celebration that hasn't made its way over to America. You can find connections between the Nordic house spirits with the Celtic fae and, and pagan fair folk. The house spirits came out at Yule time and saw offerings, mainly of porridge, to keep them happy. If they were not satisfied with this, they would punish the residents of the house uh, where they dwelled with pranks and tricks, sort of like little evil elf poltergeists demanding porridge. 
this is clearly tied to the theme of sacrifice that we we just talked about and that we see over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. In the 19th century, the Nyssa developed into gift givers, and they were often portrayed to be similar to Santa in that way, bringing holiday gifts to family members. Dating back even before the Nyssa, the Nordics believed that the Yule goat would deliver the holiday gifts. And before the Yule goat sort of was uh, tasked with delivering your gifts, men actually used to dress up as Yule goat and walk through the village singing and walk through villages and towns singing and performing skits, um, which also, in addition to like what Miranda just talked about, is also like a tie to to modern caroling, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me about the Yule goat. Many believe that the Yule goat is derived from either Thor, who is known for his goat-drawn chariot, or from the ancient harvest traditions. This lore is especially prominent in Sweden. There is a city in Sweden that builds a huge wooden Yule goat in the town center each year. Um, And since being instituted in 1966, this huge giant Yule goat has been burnt down 37 times. That's right. It's been burnt down more times than it hasn't been. I know. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. They've been doing Burning Man. It was just Burning Goat. They're so smart. (laughs) Yeah. It's also interesting. We just um, did a bunch of research for last week's episode on the druids and they sort of built like um the movie the wicker man these huge wicker men that were filled with like people and burned so i don't know it's it's an interesting theme there so let's talk about the yule log a little bit again okay so the yule log is a log that has been specially chosen to be burned for yule the yule logs of tradition were so big that it took several days usually 12 for them to burn in entirety its purpose to keep evil spirits and sickness at bay. This feels like it ties into the water, the the open water fact from Sawin, in that it it's just like mm. practical, like self care that was sort of um, draped in magic. You know what I mean? Like all they had to do was um, just stay warm, <laughs> just to prevent themselves from getting um, hypothermia. But for them, they were like, oh, the fire burning like rids the house of evil spirits that would come to us with sickness. Yep. And so it's kind of the same thing. It kind of yeah. makes sense. It, it, it actually makes perfect sense. Yeah. And the Samhain open water fact is that, what was it that you couldn't have, if you got like blood, like from animals into mm-hmm. the water, like that was seen as a sin. I'm getting my butchering no. it. I don't remember the water It was fact. that um, if, yeah, if you have a, uh, open water in your house in Sawin, then your family will uh, likely be met with hard times, sickness, or death. And that was just because, like, if the, the home water that they would use to wash up or even drink got contaminated, then obviously they would get they would get sick from these, sick. From, um, like, blood or, mm. or whatever flesh juices they had. And there was so much sacrificing of animals going on at the time that it was likely if you did have an open water source in your home that it might get, you know, infiltrated with, with mm-hmm. bacteria. Neat. <laughs> Neat. There are also a lot of pagan ancient traditions that connect to the Christmas tree as we know it today. And Miranda, again, we also like talked at the beginning about how like symbolic for Nordic pagans this idea of the tree is, right? And in, Nor- in Nordic mythology. Mm-hmm. But in Nordic regions, we have seen people bringing pine trees into their home and decorating with candles or orb-like objects to represent the sun. Again, sort of connecting back to the original like roots of the holiday, which were like, this is the longest night of the year, and tomorrow and every day ahead of this in the season, the days get longer and longer. Mm-hmm. So it's very connected to the cycles of the sun. I saw that they would originally decorate the trees with apples. They said that it was symbolic of the Garden of Eden and the abundance of life therein. And I think that's the first like inkling of any sort of like Christianity stepping into the tradition. That was the first sort of like shadow of it appearing was the the placing the apples on the Christmas tree. And that's why the most like yeah. um, stereotypical Christmas ornament is just a red ball. Gotcha. That's interesting. Yeah. I also saw some... Yeah, there's a lot of like uh, tradition of decorating trees in round things to represent right solar energy and things, mm-hmm. but also with candles, which is so scary and must have ended in so many house fires. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, and they had no open things of water to throw on it. They they're really setting themselves up for trouble. There. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I thought that was so foolish. I'm like, you picked the driest tree to adorn with candles. You know, you can't you can't just put the candles around the tree. You have to put them in the tree. Right. <laughs> so silly. Right. And when they moved to putting candles in windows, I think that was a, a step in the right direction. Mm. Yeah. Good, th- good thing cats weren't invented yet. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that about the Yule log that I found really poetic was this idea of each spark that kind of comes off of the burning of the Yule log represents a baby animal that's meant to be born in the spring, um, like a baby calf or a sheep. It's, it's So if you have lots of sparks and your log burns for a long time again, it's like symbolic of this year is going to be really fruitful for the birth of livestock. Mm-hmm. Just babies and babies and babies just popping off from that fire. It's, yeah, a lot of reason to celebrate. Baby, yep. <laughs> very into babies. This is very much a baby-oriented holiday. We'll get to that. Even though the weather at this time of year was not as difficult in Rome, they were also known for their December festivals. One week before the winter solstice, Romans would celebrate Saturnalia, named for the sun god Saturn. Uh, which you know the celebrations as all of them do included feasting and getting drunk and and all that kind of stuff it's described uh in one of the documentaries as a wild and delirious time a time meant to turn the social order on its head so kind of this idea of celebrating the disorder of the universe that right there also is super connected to what you said about the poor caroling right and getting to go in like into the house and take what they wanted in this documentary they also talked about master and slave switching for a day like that kind of stuff happening around Mm -hmm. this time they would also crown the um like the town drunkard as the he was like the king of one of the evenings he he, like he was the the ruler um there's a painting in which they would um adorn him with sort of like a sloppy crown and like carry him around on the chair and like celebrate him as the king he had it oh it had such a silly name it was like the king of debauchery or something like that that's amazing i love that put it on the list it's on the (laughs) list yeah we got to bring that back (laughs) the more wealthy romans had far more serious celebrations they would worship mithra known as the god of unconquerable sun the birthday of mithra december 25th was the holiest day of the year he was believed to have been born out of a rock into a field and shepherds had come to worship him so right there right like you see very on the nose ties right between this legend of roman god mithra and the birth of mm-hmm. jesus not Whoa. the son of god but the sun god Whoa! very easy to rewrite the narrative uh, yeah that was right? just one typo away from exactly yep At first, the resurrection of Jesus was actually much more important than his birthday. And there was actually like a lot of debate around whether he was sort of this man, right? Or if it was this idea of an extension of God's spirit, right? But they kind of Mm -hmm. decided that, yes, like he was, he's like his birthday is important to this religion. So because the Bible doesn't mention exactly when he was born, Uh, There was an unclear time to honor this holiday, but there are actually lots of historical hints if you look during um, certain scriptures that suggest he was born in the spring. Because it was already practiced to honor Mithra on the 25th, the church felt that it was easiest transition to turn that into the birthday of Jesus Christ. This decision happened sometime around the 4th century. This is such a dense holiday especially with how many times it's been around the world and they picked up all these different traditions from anywhere. There's a lot to talk about. It's very juicy. (laughs) Mistletoe was not, it was always a part of Christmas, always, but it was not just something that you would go under to smooch. Like this was a fertility-based holiday. Mm -hmm. Imagine you're inside the entire time (laughs) and you got to keep warm. So there's only like a couple of ways to get creative with that. So there were... for for a long long time there were major booms in the population mm-hmm. like after after christmas time there was a lot of kid making happening and because everybody was so uh drunk and wild it was extremely common for people to just kind of get it on in the living room while everybody else was there yeah. and it also goes into like honoring the chaos of the universe because it was very improper to even kiss a woman in front of your family at the time so all bets were off for like quite a long time there are paintings that depict this they say that like oh couples would commit the the uh, just unholy activities and there are pictures and paintings and woodcuts of people 
making out on uh, feasting tables, you know, dining halls in the middle of the home. It was it was wild. That was mostly what this holiday used to be about was drinking and uh, getting down and dirty. That's what this was about. Like, like Jesus only came into the picture when the church decided that it was over like the pagan lifestyle in general. Obviously we've seen the way that they take this over at every opportunity that they get. And, you know, like getting drunk, taking from the rich, uh, getting it on with whoever you felt like these are all very like unchurchly um, (laughs) hobbies. So they believe that these had to be done away with toot sweet. But I think that that's shameful. I think that we need to bring that back because uh, you know what? Like people need to let loose sometimes. And (laughs) like it it just seemed just seemed like a little more fun, a little more loose. I don't know. We've completely we have lost sight of what Christmas really means. (laughs) We'll add it to the list. We really have. We've lost sight of the Christmas spirit. Christmas is really about, yeah, getting as drunk as you can. I read that the three days around Christmas, you had to drink a gallon of liquor Whoa. Like you, uh, per day. So three days of one gallon of liquor per day was the average. I believe that one was from what? Rome. That's yeah, a lot of liquor. Yeah, they were getting sloshed. <laughs> yeah, people were getting mad, like uh, uh, alcohol poisoning left and right. But they didn't care because everybody was banging. So, like, they're busy having the time of their right. lives. So it's a miracle they remembered anything to write it down. I know, I know. Well, they they, they wrote it down improperly, clearly. Hence why we now have Christian Christians. Because <laughs> everyone was so yeah. drunk and confused all the time. Yeah. Except the artists at the time. They would remain outside of the festivities where they would just paint the people just doing their thing. That's not true. It's just something I'm assuming. I like that that idea of just the artists, almost like the press box being like, okay, well, we have to, we're going to stand over here. We have our credentials. We don't have to drink the, the three gallons of liquor and we're going to paint everybody doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's a far cry from what happened when, like, the the pilgrims came over to um, North America, where, okay, so when they were trying to escape from the rule of the crown, they thought it only made sense to also get rid of Christmas at the same time. So for a while, yeah, for a while, they would, um, it was outlawed to have, uh, to uh, exhibit the Christmas spirit. It was outlawed to exhibit the Christmas spirit. You would get charged five shillings if you were caught enjoying the Christmas spirit. Yeah, I know. I know. That's like, I don't even know how many bucks that is these days, but I'll tell, let me tell you, it's too many. It's too many. (laughs) It's too many bucks. Yeah. And so they, they did away with Christmas entirely when they came over here. And then, um, people started getting antsy they started there's several um like uh, recorded diary entries of people saying like i really wish we had some sort of a tradition i really wish we were doing something during this super depressing time and then they brought it back and then they made santa claus who became very quickly a commercial property yeah i know we already talked about the transformation of santa claus and how interesting that is but uh he became a product very 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 quickly after um, after his conception, which I'm pretty sure was just some guy telling a story to his children. And that was the, um, that was the story where it was like, um, on the night before Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was stirring. That's that guy. He invented mm-hmm. like the modern image of Santa Claus and then department stores got a hold of him. And now he's like the, the Macy's saint. He's the saint of the department store now. I don't yeah, know. that transformation it's, is. I, I also want to like talk a little bit again about the businessman turkey Santa that you talked about. Because can you imagine like a creepier thing than like a drunk businessman coming <laughs> through your chimney to give you gifts? Like it's so offensive to me. It's so upsetting. Hey kids, all right, who got this thing? Hey. <laughs> it's like my hell. I know, right? Nothing puts lights in the children's eyes quite like um, a drunken businessman getting dragged down the street by a, by a, a eight birds, eight turkeys. I, I always thought that the modern, like, big red jolly Santa Claus came from a Coca-Cola campaign. Really? Wait, really? What I saw was that it was a writer 
um, an American writer who literally just stepped in and decided, like, this is what he looks like. They just said it. And that's the way that, like, most things happened back then. Some dude mm. just decided, like, this is the way it is. This is what he looks like. And it was unanimous. Everybody was like, we like that version more than any right. other version that you've rolled out yet. And he was specific. I'm not making this up. He was specifically designed to look like most elder Freemasons. Whoa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's intense. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. That blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. And there's, so our friends over at dark.interiors on Instagram, who it's an account run by Adam Bashian, who's a Broadway actor, but during this COVID time, he's taken to selling like oddities and curiosities and bones and things like Ooh. he's like a collector. He has crazy artifacts. But so if you if anyone out there is into uh, secret societies and stuff, Adam has so many lots that he auctions or sells of like old, um, like really, really old secret society or like fraternal organization books and journals and bibs and pins and all kinds of just like creepy stuff which i think is kind of like maybe bad vibes to bring into your house but if you're into that check it out so yes uh just did a little bit of a little bit of fact checking Mm -hmm. um and my i was i was mildly correct (laughs) so uh up until 1931 the image of santa was was completely up to the artist uh, hmm. Whether he was tall and gaunt, whether he wore a bishop's robe, whether he wore animal skins, uh, it just was completely different. And then in 1931, Coca-Cola made this giant ad campaign that put this big, fat, jolly guy in a red suit and white trim, which is their brand's colors. Uh, and that completely caught on. And that is the well, modern depiction of Santa that everyone pictures today. Wild. No way. 1931? That just happened. That's insane. Yo, I thought you were going to say like 1842 or something <laughs> like that. 19, that, that's like yesterday that they just decided what Santa looks like. That's blowing my mind right now. There are people alive today that remember gauntish elf animal skin Santa. Right. So on that note, man, <laughs> am I thirsty. <laughs> Coca-Cola, yeah. Where's that polar bear money, by the way? The polar bears are still suffering. I'm just, that's just something that, that I noticed. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, I wonder if they just stopped advertising the polar bears because they realized it was a losing, a sinking ship, if you will. Well, maybe they could give some of their <laughs> billions of dollars to help save them. I don't think a single dime went to any polar bear. No. 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 You don't see any rich polar bears walking around. No. <laughs> and that's the problem with this country. Yeah, we always like, this is what I'm feeling right now, but we always see like all of these things on instagram or other social media that's like everybody be environmentally conscious and everybody give back and yes we do and those are really important values and morals to have but like the truth of all of it is is like jeff bezos has so much money right or like companies like coca-cola like the the top ge the top companies are the ones who carbon emission is ruining the world right and so it's Mm -hmm. like yes everyone has an individual responsibility but when we really talk about what's wrong and what needs to be fixed like us as individuals don't have the power to change the world but like not that many corporations and individuals do and they just have to make that decision right Mm -hmm. so this year when you're buying your lucky holiday boar buy local (laughs) that's right you know find (laughs) out where your holiday boar comes from exactly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's great alan thank you thank you so much this was kind of just like fun and weird and just like i didn't know it you know the um oh god is it called a perennial or am i getting the name of the flower wrong the big no, red right. flower yeah that's right okay Uh-oh. so poinsettia. poinsettia poinsettia oh poinsettia so sorry thank you yes poinsettia oh well now that i'm saying it out loud it kind of sounds like a spanish word but i didn't know that it was a spanish flower and that one random white guy i think his name was julius was um, just taking a trip down to Mexico and he found Mm -hmm. this big beautiful red flower and he was like I've decided that this is for American Christmas and then he took it back he took a couple (laughs) of these flowers back to the US and um, people became very quickly interested in this very exotic looking flower and now it's completely normalized it's very much like you know standard Christmas tradition I had no idea it was a flower from Mexico that was just stolen by a white dude and he was like I've decided but this is the new adornment and everyone shall follow suit. And they did. They didn't question anything. And it's also very poisonous for animals. So if you do have them, keep them away from your pets. 
Oh, this guy I'm just sucks. Appalled to hear a story of a white man stealing something from another culture. Yeah. Especially a flower. How dare you? The nerve of this man. He didn't have any culture, so he went down and he just found anything that he could find growing out of the ground and he was like, This is it, my new tradition. This is ours now. No one will tell me otherwise because I don't know what anyone's saying. <laughs> exactly. So here are some suggestions, Alan. If you would like to honor a more pagan uh, tradition of Yule would in the I? winter solstice this year. So the first thing I have here, which is like a little bit <laughs> preachy maybe, but there's so much that we've talked about today that's about not just sacrificing, but almost like the equaling out of wealth, right? Or this idea of giving back in quotes in weird, <laughs> weird, but different ways. And, you know, and I know it's a little cheesy, but this is still a hard time of year for everybody this year is an even harder time of year for everybody so the first thing to do i think that really does like get back to these roots are you know can you sacrifice 10 or 20 dollars to someone on venmo who's having a hard time can you volunteer at Mm -hmm. a soup kitchen or a local shelter for people who are really cold can you give some old winter jackets that don't fit you anymore to someone who doesn't have one so just things to think about Mm -hmm. um because you know every winter is hard uh but this one i think is is a lot harder for people are you a pharmaceutical CEO just yeah. sitting on the cure for cancer? <laughs> Release that shit. Come on. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's the little ways to give back, you know? You can be creative. If you have 30 to 45 minutes, break into the richest person's house on your block. Take whatever you can get. It's only tradition. <laughs> it's the right thing to do in these hard times, in these times of major inequality. It is our civic responsibility as Americans to reach back through history, grab our roots, and honor them so you walk up in that house you get your robes you get your christmas ham that's yours baby yeah that's your boar (laughs) uh second thing is to decorate your home with with things that might be considered the sacred plants of the winter solstice right so evergreen wreaths and trees which of course we do but also mistletoe holly and ivy which there's a lot of uh probably like fake versions of those things going around but if you want to connect with nature connect with the elements connecting with nature in any way is certainly pagan and cool but those things specifically might make you feel connected to this time of year Hmm. stick that mistletoe over your memory foam mattress and also (laughs) honor those traditions that's your business but it's a great way to, to celebrate hell yeah picking a tree maybe with um some intention right so can you get a tree from you know a local farm can you you know check what's going on at your local farm just trying to find something that really resonates with you also decorating your tree with sun symbols right and and maybe less corporate don't buy a bunch of like really cheap ornaments from amazon but can you hand make something can you get something from a local artisan that kind of stuff is really cool i love that Ooh, can i throw out a suggestion yes please so I mean, this is kind of niche because, like, I live by the shore. But if if anyone who's listening, like, also lives by the shore, I suggest grabbing a bunch of seashells. And, um, like, a little Dremel drill is super affordable. Or sometimes the shells are so, like, um, kind of uh, thin that you can just poke right through it. It's really, really, really cute to make a bunch of Christmas ornaments just out of seashells. I don't know. My dad and I did that one year, and it looked really beautiful. So I highly recommend it to anybody who's able to do something like that. Yeah, and actually, my dad just sent me photos. And this didn't happen last year, I think, but the shore where Miranda lives is also the shore where my parents live. And sometimes on the beach, there's a Christmas tree that people put up, like an evergreen tree, and they decorate it Mm -hmm. with, with the shells. Um, and I've seen it a few years in a row and it, it seems to be back this year. So I'm excited That's great. to see it. Yeah. Burn a Yule log uh, in a hearth or in a bonfire or by burning candles. Um, but as always with pagan rituals, fire is very much a part of that. So that would be a really cool thing. Obviously, you, you know, don't burn it for t- 12 days. If you're going to leave your house, be fire safe about it. But Yule log is a really strong tradition to tap into here. Um, and the, the last thing is a little woohoo, but to meditate on the rising or setting of the solstice sun. So it's still a powerful, I, I think, like symbol, right? A, a day. It's the shortest day, but the longest night. Like, I think there's some still some cool prompts there if you're into journaling or meditation, things like that. Okay, so I saw that another tradition that a lot of other modern pagans practice is that they, they do light the Yule log. And then for about five to ten minutes, they open every single door in the house 
to um, make room for the bad spirits to like see their way out. Cool. And I kind of like that because it's also a way to get like super fresh, clean air like yeah. up in the house as well. And then, I mean, yeah, just like five to ten minutes of like um, like an atmospheric refresh, let's call it, just to yeah, rid the house of bad spirits. I like that one. I love that. Yeah, that's neat. I mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. like. One, I think one of the most simple things you can do if you're in a funk or just feeling stale is to open a window, which I know maybe sounds cheesy and obvious but it really does just like having fresh air and a little bit of breeze and some you know brisk air at this time of year can kind of like wake you up in a new way Mm -hmm. it's really good for you too yeah yeah fake heat is really bad for you turns out i mean like this probably isn't news to most people but i just learned that like yeah the natural cold air and like a shock of it every now and again is super super duper good for your immune system and your skin Hmm. yeah and we're Mm. alan and i are in New York City and we both have apartments with like forced fake heat and it's can be difficult to manage like not getting super dry and everyone has like 100 humidifiers and keeps their windows open but also like I live on the first floor so at night I have to close my window you know like on the street mm-hmm. so there's a lot to manage but it's very refreshing mm-hmm. when you can have a window open in the winter shall we move on to the big finale I want to hear this big finale okay so because Miranda is such a talented actor, voice actor, of course we had, of course we had to include <laughs> a story, and I, I knew right away what I wanted the focus of it to be, and I ended up making it. I wouldn't say it's a poem, but it's kind of more spoken wordy or or less traditional than I've dabbled with in the past. So I wrote a tale, I'll say a winter tale that Miranda is now going to read for us. Okay. Written by Abby Breaker. Read by Miranda Warzel. All was quiet. All was dark. A stillness enclosed the land, but not a peaceful one. Something was coming. It was coming tonight. He felt it in the air. It was time. He inhaled the frigid cold air, but it got caught in his throat freezing his windpipe before it reached his desperate lungs. Pure white snow blanketed the crags, cliffs, and jagged trees of the north. If he tried to deflect, his footprints would be covered by falling snow in only a moment, erasing any proof that he had been there at all. His breath fogged his vision. He craned his neck, scanning the night sky. Back and forth, Back and forth, his eyes darted across the crystal-clear expanse, a deep, dark blue. Vivid gold and silver stars, he kept waiting. It was coming. Vibrant orange sparks danced near his feet, his small fire, just enough to keep him alive, not enough to keep him comfortable. He didn't want to be comfortable. He wanted to see. The cold was biting at his bones. It had penetrated through his bearskin cloak within minutes. The coldest night of the year. The longest night of the year. A bird flew from one pine tree to another, gently knocking snow from its perch, causing an ever-so-slight disruption in the stillness. And then, another bird shifted, and another, and another, powerful wings beating against the frozen air, and then the sky was darkened by a mass of wings. Powerful, dark birds of prey descending from the northern constellations, chasing away the smaller local fleet. These new heavenly warriors dove and pecked at the ground, somehow able to see rabbits in their burrows and rodents in their holes. Within seconds, the startlingly white snow was stained with deep crimson. Blood had been spilled. The sky again filled with wings and the deafening sounds of chaos as a new order arrived. Foxes and hounds their eyes red and glowing. From above, dozens of hounds and hundreds of foxes descended. He watched as the creatures patrolled the night around him, leaving him be. 
Their red eyes matched the decay that littered the scene around him, these hellish beasts going after larger targets, local cattle, livestock, mammals left as sacrifice. It was intuition that drove them, but not earthly senses. They knew. They just knew where each and every living creature was. He did not know if it was impeccable smell or sight or just omniscience, but nothing was left alive. Except for him. The heavens above cracked and split in two. He could feel his ears bleeding from the explosion. The night erupted around him. Cackling filled the air. His hurt ears could not discern if it was from the hounds, the foxes, or the night itself. Was it around him? Or inside of him? Winds, rain, snow, and other elements he hadn't seen before. Light and blood poured on him from above. He was not scared. He had been waiting for this moment his entire life. From the opening in the sky emerged horses, or what might be close to horses on Earth, but these celestial creatures were something else entirely. Evil and beautiful, heavenly and feared. Their bodies rippled with muscles, their eyes narrow and focused. They charged towards him from above, crashing with a steady grace around him, making room. He did not flinch. Their tailwind easily extinguished his fire, but he no longer felt cold. There it was, coming towards him faster and faster, the eight-legged chariot, the god himself. His human brain could not comprehend what he saw, the figure before him was both solid and ethereal. He seemed to be made of lightning, rain, and wind. The horses were circling him. The sleet came down harder. The blood came down harder. The wind blew in every direction, causing thunderous booms from all sides. Lightning left horizontal streaks across the sky, vertical clashes in the heavens. The god grinned and he lifted the boy up and took him away into the night to the heavens, leaving only stillness and carnage behind. The smell of iron and the hope of a better year to come. You are so good. That was amazing. That was <laughs> thank you. Really cool. Yeah. The way you wrote that girl gave me <laughs> so much to work with. I love your writing style. I'm going to get that book that you suggested to me earlier because like I said, it's just full of juice for me. It's it's just so much fun to read your writing. That's uh, it. How come you, you don't write thank more you. poetry? I don't know. I it I I don't know. It actually I was struggling with writing. I had to do a bunch of writing stuff this week and it was like I was putting it off and putting it off because I felt so uninspired and I just it just sort of started to come out this way and I was like ah this is easy this is this is like oh this, this is, is easy as she brushes the dust off her shoulders <laughs> no. sometimes it's just like you have to figure out what method works for the thing you're doing and this was a new uh experiment but I'm so glad that you liked it oh, it's certainly working thank you I had fun I had a lot of fun too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you but can Miranda, tell. you are an impassioned vocal artist that was it always gives me chills to hear you do anything so thank you so much well thank you guys thank you guys so much it's just playing for me like when you give me something this good it's just i can just play with it you know ah so fun we're a good team then i feel that yeah that's true that's hella true (laughs) happy you y'all um steal from the rich i cannot drive that point home enough uh yeah that's it burn that log clean your house Donate to those less fortunate than you. Be nice. For Christ's sakes, be nice. Yes. Be nice. Pet the boars. But before you just <laughs> rob them blind, ask just ask for stuff first, because that is tradition. Right. You never know. They might want to join the festivities, too. 
just carol outside their house until they have no other option that is what i mean yeah, <laughs> yeah. get drunk yeah sing outside their houses offer them liquor you know give them a little boo get them a little boozed up a little you know a little more Mm -hmm. open-hearted and uh and if they're not being responsive just take the bottle of booze stuff a rag in the top light it and just throw (laughs) it at their house (laughs) this is called a christmas cocktail in in case anybody wanted to know (laughs) exactly well, thank you guys so much for listening. I I don't know. I think we all had so much fun researching this. And there's stuff that is so mind-blowing about these connections and the history. And, and like, why, like everyone thinks, you know, what we celebrate today is so standard. And it's really new in some cases and also totally bullshit in others, right? <laughs> and so it's fun to get to, like, the root and the cause behind all this stuff. So thank you guys again. You can follow us at The Lunatics Project on Instagram. You can follow Miranda at alien.meat on Instagram. And until next time, stay safe. Have a wonderful holiday if you celebrate. And remember that COVID is real and to wear your mask everywhere you go. Happy Yule. Happy Yule. Julius Yule. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some bonus content, consider supporting us on Patreon to access our patron-exclusive podcast, Horror Movie Club. Also head to lunaticsproject.com to check out our spooky merch and apparel. You can find us at Lunatics Project on Twitter and TikTok, and The Lunatics Project on Instagram and YouTube, where you'll find our short horror films, cemetery tours, and so much more. And please rate and review. A little feedback goes a long way to help us grow and get more content out there. Our cover art is by Pilar Kep. And musical bumpers are by Michaela Papa and Jordan Moser.